The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. I want to invite you to take to take your copy of God's Word and, and turn with me to the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and we'll begin reading in chapter 5 here in, in just a moment, but I kind of want to set the stage before we, before we dive into what we're going to be looking at. How, how, how many of you love those like super detailed instruction manuals? Like you get a new appliance and you can't wait to read the manual on it just to see how it all works in case you ever have a problem. I hate those things. I despise them. The more technical and detailed they are, the worse I hate them. But I can tell you from past experience that those instruction manuals sometimes are vital. There are details in there that are vital. I've learned that the hard way in the world of uh, mechanicking. Out of necessity, and I may have told you all this story, but it fits with this. And if I've told you, just act like you hadn't heard it before. Oh. Um, out of necessity, a number of years ago, because we all, our whole family has old vehicles. My truck's got almost 330,000 miles on it. And I praise God that it still gets me from point A to point B. But I was working on my daughter's car and, and, and had to do a few things on it, valve covers and some other stuff. And because I had already done that on my truck and it all had gone successful, I thought I didn't need to pay attention. And I skipped one small little step, which cost me about eight hours of extra work. Paying attention to the instructions which are given to us can keep us out of trouble. And God has given us an instruction manual for life. We call it the Bible. He's given us this instruction manual and, and contained in it, Obviously, we find all we need for life and godliness. We, we, we find out how much God loves us. We find out how much God desires a relationship with us. We find out our sinfulness and our separation from God and what he did about that through Jesus. But biblical instruction is vital. In fact, the, the psalmist in Psalm 32 verse 8 uh, says, I will instruct you. And this is God speaking as the psalmist is writing, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. In other words, God's saying, I'm watching you. I see where you are. And when you come to that fork in the road, that decision you need to make, or maybe you're about to walk off a cliff because you're like me, make, about to make a not real smart decision. God says, I see you. And if you're listening to me, if you're listening to my instruction, I will guide you. I will say, stop. I will say, turn left, take the right. Do this or don't do that. It's awesome. It, 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 it's honestly, it, it, it blows my mind that, that God loves those who belong to him so much that he watches out for us. And when we're in his word, listening to his instructions, he promises to guide us. Psalm 119, the longest psalm of all the psalms is all about God's word 
But in Psalm 119, the first three verses says, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, not perfect, but, but blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. And biblical instruction is vital, but it's also, it's also super practical. We're about to dive into to probably the most practical teaching in scripture. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Biblical instruction is, is practical. Another place we find some practical instruction from God's word is, is back in Psalm 119. In verses 9 through 11, the question is asked, how can a young man, ladies, how can a young man, an older man, a young woman, an older woman, how can we keep our way pure? Well, he answers it right here by keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So as we come to Matthew chapter 5, I believe really probably the most practical teaching in all of Scripture. We read these words. We'll read, we'll begin in verse 1. And we'll, we'll, we'll stop at verse 12. We're just going to look at the Beatitudes this morning. And I want to encourage you to come back this evening at 6 o'clock. And we'll pick up with the text on salt and light. And Lord willing, when we finish tonight, we'll finish chapter 5. Uh, it depends on how many questions y'all ask and how fast you listen. But we'll be a much more informal tonight. We're meeting in the fellowship hall beginning tonight okay so tonight and then monday tuesday and wednesday night we'll be down in the fellowship hall so we can drink some coffee and sit around the tables and we'll have a good time and hopefully god will teach us a lot and help us to go live it out but but as jesus begins it says when jesus saw the crowds where'd the crowds come from well in chapter four we know that jesus has walked through the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights god the holy spirit led him out there to for his preparation for ministry. And he faced the temptation of the devil and he fought that temptation with biblical instruction, with the word of God. And then Jesus calls his first disciples and he issues that command and that challenge that is issued to you and me as well. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you my witnesses where you live and to the uttermost parts of the earth, as he would say in the gospel, in, in the book of Acts and in Matthew. And it says in verse 24 of chapter 4 that news about him spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus has got quite a crowd following him, some for the wrong reasons, some for the right reasons. But as he is there by the Sea of Galilee, he sees the crowds. He's got new disciples, probably more than four by now. But he's got those that he wants to invest in who will ultimately carry the gospel 
to the rest of the earth. And it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, the mountain that we call the Mount of Beatitudes today. And after he sat down, which is a common posture for teaching, Jesus was a rabbi. He had called his disciples. And when a rabbi was going to teach, the rabbi would sit and guess what the learners would do? Stand. We've got it backwards in church today. I'm supposed to be sitting and y'all are supposed to be standing. I like it this way, though. It's a lot more comfortable for y'all. We listen better when our hineys are in a seat. We just do. But it says, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Why? They knew he was about to teach them something. And he opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, or the meek, or the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him Because they knew that their teacher was about to teach them something vital. There was an expectation from Jesus' disciples that he was about to teach them something they desperately needed to learn. So the expectation, or their, their, their posture was this. Guys, we better listen up. May we come to the Sermon on the Mount with the same expectation that God is about to speak something very plain and practical and powerful in our lives, and we better listen. We should come to God's Word that way all the time, though, shouldn't we? But that's, that, that's what's going on here. Jesus' disciples were excited. They wanted to know what He was about to teach. The fact that He is... T- that it says he called his disciples to him tells us that this message is for those who follow Jesus. But there was a whole big crowd around them, wasn't it? You reckon they heard what Jesus was saying? I know they did. I've been to that area. And and you get on that hill and you speak and the way the acoustics are around the Sea of Galilee, everybody hears. You, the fishermen out in the Sea of Galilee fishing and talking, you can hear, you can't understand exactly what they're saying, but you can hear them. You know that they're speaking. Well, Jesus being where he was, his voice would have projected all over that region. Thus, the, the crowd heard what was going on. And so this message is yes for those of us who, who desire to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, but it's also 
for those who may be wanting to check it out. What's this Jesus thing all about? What, what, is it, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What, what is a disciple? What does that look like? Jesus lays it out pretty plain for us here in Matthew chapter 5. And so let's dive into the Beatitudes. I, I'm sure you've heard and you know that the word blessed, it can mean several things. It can mean happy. It can mean fortunate. One of the definitions, the, one of the biblical definitions that I, that I found for blessed that I don't think I'd ever seen before, but it said, <clears throat> it said, blessed is a, means a, a person who is to be congratulated because of God's work in their life. In other words, if I see God working in you and through you, and I recognize that, I should say you're blessed because God is at work. That's an interesting way to define this term for blessed. As Jesus lays these beatitudes out, he, he each one of them, he follows the same pattern. He issues a blessing. Well, he just says you're blessed. And then he makes a statement, whether it's the poor in spirit or the meek or those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he issues a reward. And we'll follow that pattern as we go through. But there's something interesting in verse 3 and verse 10. The, the, the tense of the verb is a little different. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's in the present tense. It means that it, it is right now and it will continue to be. The other blessings, those who mourn, those who are gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all the way through the peacemakers, the way that is worded, there's a future aspect to it. You're blessed now, but there's a future blessing to come. The only other blessing that's in the present tense is the one that makes us go, hmm, I wish that one wasn't in there. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Well, we'll get to those in a minute, but I, I, I just, that, that's an interesting tidbit. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. Uh, maybe tonight we'll talk a little bit more about it. Um, but he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, I'm, I'm going to give you, if any of you are note takers, I'm going to give you some, some C words to write down as we look at these because it, it to me, it helps me remember. Dr. Steve Horn came and, and taught through the Sermon on the Mount at, at the District 8 office here a while back. And, and I, 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 I took some of these C words from him and I made up a few on my own. And I, I'm not creative enough to make them all up on my own. So I stole some of his and I added a few of my own. But when we think about poor in spirit, I want you to think about the word condition. Because when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit... The, the person he's talking about is the person who recognizes the condition of their heart. That the condition of their heart before God... I, let me describe it this way. I am spiritually powerless before God to do anything about my spiritual condition. I'm, I'm a sinner. At best, I'm a wretched, wretched sinner before a holy and righteous God. Oftentimes during vacation Bible school, the first thing that we tell a child that they need to do to be saved is to admit that they're a sinner. The A of the ABCs. 
That's where Jesus starts in the Beatitude. He said, blessed are those who understand their spiritual condition before God and they understand that their spiritual condition in and of themselves is bankrupt. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who understand that. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that's encouraging. To know that when a person comes before a holy God and realizes that before God, I, I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing to offer. I can't do anything about my condition apart from Christ. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You're going to recognize a progression throughout the Beatitudes. Jesus starts with the condition of a person's heart. And then he moves to what I call contrition. As I realize I'm bankrupt before God spiritually, it ought to break my heart. It ought to lead me to repentance. And so when Jesus talks about those who mourn, he's not talking about those who are are, are mourning over a situation or the loss of a loved one. He's talking about that person who is mourning over their sinfulness before a holy God. And he said, that person is going to find comfort. Why? Because you're going to experience grace and mercy. And so that person who mourns, who is contrite over the condition of their heart, they're going to find comfort for that. Uh, most, most, Most smart people, scholars and those people that are way smarter, I thank God for their giftedness, but they say that this is probably a reference or an allusion to Isaiah 61. This will be a very familiar passage for you. Verses 1 through 3. Where Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion. Giving them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. They will be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. That's one of those messianic prophecies that there was a fulfillment in that day and one to come and most believe that when Jesus speaks of this he is speaking of the comforting work that he will bring into the lives of people who recognize their sin who repent of that sin they mourn over that sin and they bring that sin to the cross to have it forgiven but Jesus goes on And he says, blessed are the gentle or the meek or the humble. For they shall inherit the earth. Here's the C word and it may not make any sense at all. Control. Here's the picture. Here's the word picture for you. How many of you ever rode a horse? How many of you ever seen a horse being ridden? There's this thing that they put on them called a bridle. What goes in the horse's mouth? A bit. I grew up on a horse farm. I used to ride horses. 
the word, the picture here is there's a bit in your mouth, but who's holding the reins? Is God holding the reins or are you holding the reins? That's the person Jesus is describing here. We think of it as a characteristic. That is not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, blessed are those whose lives are controlled by God. They have humbled themselves before a holy God and given all control to him. That's a whole different picture than how we usually read this, isn't it? That that other meek and humble characteristic comes out later as we live our lives. We become that because we're allowing God to be in control. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are surrendered and controlled. Surrendered to God and controlled by him. Now, now just notice the progression. I've, I've, I've realized my sinfulness before God. I've... I've I'm broken over that. I'm contrite over that. I've confessed it. I've repented of it. I've found comfort and grace. In other words, I've found salvation and freedom and grace and mercy. And now, now I surrender my life to God's control. The New Testament reminds us that you and I are bought at a price. That we are slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is Lord He is to be in control. That's the picture here. The person who is gentle is that that kind of person. The person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Hmm. Well, if I've done all of those things in verses 3, 4, and 5, it leads me to want to crave righteousness. There's your C word, crave. I want to. I, I want to be like Jesus. I can never be Jesus, but I want to be like Him, as much as humanly possible, in this old bunch of flesh that I live in and that you live in. We want to be like Jesus. We want to allow God's biblical instruction to not just inform us but change us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus said, and we'll look at it in a a couple of evenings, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about uh, worry and anxiety, and I'm the poster child for that. If you look that up in the dictionary, you're going to see Jack Bell's face. But Jesus said, don't do that. And he tells us why. And then he says, the cure for all of that is to seek first his kingdom, and His righteousness. And Jack, all these things you worry about, God's going to take care of them. may not be like you want Him to, but God's going to take care of them. Seek Him first and His righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who crave that righteousness. And now, now we're at a point in the Beatitudes that now we begin to see what does a disciple look like? What are some of the outward characteristics that begin to... To, to come out. The Holy Spirit is filling and changing and transforming and, 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 and now some of that begins to, to leak out in how we live. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
I put, this is one I made up here, but I put compassion because that describes, that describes someone who is merciful, who has experienced mercy and therefore gives mercy. That, that person does have a compassionate heart. Not, not that you won't speak truth when truth needs to be spoken, but when, but when you see a broken world, when you see hurt, when you see some type of injustice, you have compassion for that. And maybe you can't do anything about it, but you might, you're going to try to find somebody who can. That, that's the person Jesus is describing. A person who, because they have received the mercy of God, the forgiveness of their sin, looks at a lost and dying and broken world and says, Lord Jesus, help me make a difference. Let me tell somebody how their lives can be changed like you changed mine. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Here's how one author described the merciful. One who is generous, forgiving of others, has compassion for the suffering, and provides healing of every kind. We just do the best we can with what we got, but we've got a compassionate heart because of the mercy of God that you and I have received. Micah 6, 8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness or, or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I can't be, I can't give mercy if I've not received God's mercy first. I can't love others if I've not received the love of God. When Jesus gave us the great commandment, love God with everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I can't love my neighbor as myself. If I haven't received God's love and am able to love him back, this works the same way. Let's look at the pure in heart. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is a, this is a second characteristic. And uh, I think a good C word for this is clean, spiritually, spiritually clean, not perfect. Because if you and I have to be perfect to please God, we're, none of us are going to make it, are we? But here's what happens. But here, here's what the word kind of literally means. It, 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 it means a person who is, who is morally upright, spiritually clean. So let me, let me describe how you and I can stay pure in heart. A pure in heart is a single-minded devotion to God. To, to be pure in heart, you've got a single-minded devotion to God. That goes back to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, craving that. And so as I'm going along and I'm doing life and, 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 and I blow it, um, I have a bad habit of being intolerant with ignorant people on the road. Y'all ever encounter ignorant people on the road? I'm one of them sometimes. But I have, I have this bad habit when I encounter such as that I did on the way here this morning. I, I, I behaved on that one because I knew I was preaching on it. So it was fresh on my mind. Lord didn't have to slap me. It was already on my heart. Need to keep it there more often. But, but I have a habit of, of, of talking. And I don't let them know they're number one in my life or anything like that. But I have a habit that if they see my facial expression, they know I'm not happy. I've gotten, I've gotten angry with my children through the years. I've, we all sin in, in, in different, lots of different ways. But a person who is pure in heart when I blow it, and I do and will, 
I go back to the first beatitude. I realize that I am nothing apart from Christ. And I admit what, what I have blown, how I have blown it. And I repent of that. And I receive that forgiveness and mercy again. And you walk through that progression. That's how you stay pure in heart. You keep your list of unconfessed sin, unrepented of sin. You keep that list clean. You don't let anything come between you and your relationship with God. That's how you stay pure in heart. Holiness is a prerequisite for entering God's presence. Holiness, if I, if I want God to be answering my prayers, now sometimes He answers them in spite of me, but if I want that kind of fellowship with God where He communicates to me, and I'm able to communicate to him. I have to stay clean before him. And so when I, when I do something that messes up that relationship, just like my children, when they did something wrong, they needed to make that right. They didn't quit being my son or my daughter, but that relationship had to be restored. And it was restored through repentance. Sometimes there were consequences, but... And so as we look at the picture of a disciple, it is someone who has received mercy, therefore they give mercy. It's someone who keeps their heart clean before God. They're also peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. I think in our context, my goodness, do we need peace in this world? There's only one way that will happen, and according to my Bible, it's never going to happen. There will be pockets of peace. But according to my Bible, ultimately, the world's going to get to the point where our Lord and Savior's coming back, and He's going to fix everything finally. But how can you and I be peacemakers? Each of you have a story. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ of how he brought peace into your life, of how your sins were forgiven. You, you've lived the gospel. You've received it. It's changed you. There are others who need what has happened to you. How can we be peacemakers? Share the gospel. Let people know what Jesus can do in their life. And it helps just to not be a mean person. I don't think any of you are. But there are some of those people out there. But guess what happens when we live like this? This is completely contradictory to how normal people live. Normal people are those people who live a life without Jesus. Jesus is not Lord and Savior. Those are normal people. We're abnormal. Normal people, when, when, they, when, they, when they see us living like this, sometimes they don't like it for various reasons. Maybe it convicts them. Maybe they just don't like it. But sooner or later, Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted 
for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All these characteristics that Jesus calls blessed, the world doesn't like them. Because they're opposite of how most people want to live. And so Jesus says, sooner or later, you may get picked on, you may be called names, you may hostility and violence may come. Brothers and sisters all across the world face that every day. They gather in secret. Sometimes the mob or the police shows up. There's persecution rampant across our world. Some of our brothers and sisters go through things that if that came to America today, I think the vast majority of our churches would be, the doors would be nailed shut. We don't understand that kind of persecution. But Jesus said that we're blessed. But we're not blessed simply because we're persecuted. We're blessed when we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. When we're living out these beatitudes, when we're living for Jesus, the persecution must be because of our righteousness. And then he makes it personal. The second blessing here, verse 11, is tied to verse 10. But he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Here's the phrase, though, because of me. I've been insulted. I've been persecuted for things that I did that were not because of Jesus. I wasn't blessed in those times. Jesus said you're blessed if you're persecuted because you're living for him. Um, quick example, not a personal example, thankfully, but I'm sure I'm sure some of y'all have you I know you know of it or you've or you've watched some videos. Y'all know what road rage is? Well, if you do something stupid and somebody else uh, gets mad at you and there's a road rage incident. Now that, that person's got an issue too, but, but I'm not blessed if I'm the one that caused that to happen because that wasn't anything that had to do with Jesus. But when you and I live for Jesus, we can expect sooner or later some form of persecution is going to come. But he said we're blessed. In other words, we should have, we should have joy. And, and here's the truth. Whatever you and I may face on this earth, compared to all eternity that we have to look forward to, what we face on this earth is a blip on the radar. It is nothing compared to what awaits us. And as our hope remains in Jesus, as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, knowing that we will spend all of eternity with Him. We can walk through this life with joy. And that's why over in the book of James, James would, would tell us to count it all joy, to consider it all joy. One translation says, consider it pure joy. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith 
produces endurance. It produces perseverance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Even when that persecution comes. Because we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Doing our best to live for Him and be like Him. We can have joy because God can even use persecution to make us more like Jesus. In fact, He wants to. He wants to. Your reward in heaven is yet to come. But it's coming. That's a fact. If you belong to Jesus, your reward is coming. And there is nothing that anybody can do about that. Hold on to that hope. Because it it's a truth. And Jesus reminds us when you and I are going through persecution because of Him, we're in good company. He reminds us at the end of the Beatitudes that we're not alone. We're not the only ones. That those who went before us faced the same exact thing. When you go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and you read that great hall of faith, if you read the whole story of each of those men and women one thing you find throughout many of those stories is they face some tough times. They face some trials and some tribulations. They faced some persecution. The gist of the Beatitudes is completely opposite to the common worldly thinking. Jesus turned everything up on its head. He turned the way we live. A person who is called to be his disciple, to follow him. He said the way you live your life will be completely opposite to how every normal person lives. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time this morning. But I want to encourage you to go to the book of Philippians chapter 2 and read those first 16 verses it should be a very familiar passage but it's a powerful one it reminds us of our focus of how we ought to live that it's not about us it's about him let me very quickly in about the next 30 seconds set up tonight and then we're going to close Why the Beatitudes? What, what? Why are they important? Well, they're important for a lot of reasons, but if you and I want to live for Jesus, the first thing we have to do is come to Him and accept what He did on Calvary's cross. In other words, you need to be saved. You need to admit that you're a sinner before God. You need to confess and turn from that sin and, and, and surrender your life to Christ. And let Him come in and be boss. That, that's obviously the first step. But realize, living like Jesus is completely opposite probably to most everything you've ever been taught. 
And there will be hardships that will come because of living like Jesus. And so Jesus gives us these beatitudes. Number one, to remind us of the blessing, of the joy, of, of the happiness of God working in our life as we follow them. First and foremost, it's the key to blessing these beatitudes. It's the key to discipleship. To becoming like Jesus, to, to being a faithful follower of Him, of, of God's rule reigning in your life. This whole study is about God's kingdom, about being a, a, a kingdom citizen, if you will. We operate under a different king than any king on this earth. So how do we do that? Well, the, the Beatitudes are a key to, to living that out. But here's where it gets real practical. The Beatitudes are the key to the very next section and those that follow. You want to be salt and light? You want to be light in a dark world? You want to be salt in a world that needs what the gospel can do? The Beatitudes are the key. They set the stage for everything that follows. And basically what Jesus is going to do is he's going to flesh out the Beatitudes in the rest of chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Practical stuff that you and I can take and live out today, tomorrow, and until he comes. And so, Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth in your word. Lord, I, I thank you that quite often you hit us right between the eyes with your word. But even as you do that, even as you convict us of sin in our life, you remind us that you still love us deeply. You still want that relationship with us. You don't throw us to the side when we blow it. You come, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you nudge us to get it right. You love us far greater than we could ever love ourselves or anyone else. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Maybe for somebody who will hear this next week or, or may be watching online. God, I pray that you in this moment would help us to respond to you. Your eyes upon us, you want to guide us. And so, Lord, I know there are probably decisions all across this auditorium that need to be made of all kinds. Whether that is for salvation for the very first time or just getting some things right with you or, or, or just being committed and encouraged to live for you and to know that you walk every step of this life with us. There may be someone here who, who's not a member of First Baptist Man and you're leading them here to plant their life, be a part of, of your bride that we call First Baptist Man and serve this community. Only you know our hearts. And God, I just ask you this morning to help us to respond to you. It's your invitation to each of us. 
May we honor you with our yes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.